Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. Is it worthwhile to bring your young child on vacation when it's almost certain that they won't remember that vacation when they grow up at all? Family travel doesn't mean only Disney or beach or all-inclusive vacation. We just came back from Jordan for spring break. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of No Blackout Dates. My name's Tim. I'm Eben. We got a good one for you today. We're going to be talking travel with kids, in particular international travel with kids with the Monet Handbrake. It's going to be a really in-depth and detailed conversation. If you have kids, thinking about having kids travel with your brother who has a kid, there's going to be a lot of actionable takeaways for you today. But before we get into that, we've got our famed hot takes section. You want to kick this one off, Evan? Yeah, I don't have kids, Tim. None of that applies to me. No, that's why no. I'm not on the interview today. It's irrelevant. Yeah, it's irrelevant for you. <laughs> that's why you guys won't be hearing from me today because I have nothing to offer. So it's just Tim. It's just the parents. Uh, you'll be spared my totally irrelevant takes. Well, what's going to be interesting on this interview is that I'm going to be getting schooled because I have never traveled abroad with my child. I'm going to here in about three weeks for the first time. So I have a lot to learn. And that segues perfectly into my first hot take, which is. Is it worthwhile to bring your young child on vacation when it's almost certain that they won't remember that vacation when they grow up at all? Having not done it yet, but now having a child and kind of grasping the way that parenting works to a small degree, the answer is is yes on two fronts. A, because it's far more affordable to take your children with you than it is to hire childcare and leave them at home. Uh, unless you're fortunate enough, I suppose, and have kids at the right age to where you could put them with family. Um, but I mean, if you're leaving your kids with childcare for a week, that's going to cost you thousands of dollars. Uh, second of all, I think it's as much, not so much the memory, but the, the routine of bringing your children with you and getting them used to going through the airport and being on a plane and having these variable surroundings. I think that instilling that young is the value takeaway there. Because I remember hearing, and that all makes sense to me, I remember hearing you talk about uh, a few months ago that you were looking forward to bringing your daughter to Mexico to give her kind of an international experience. You thought it was important for her to have the exposure to another culture at a young age. And while when you said that to me, I was like, oh yeah, of course, that makes sense. I then thought about it afterwards. I'm like, there's absolutely no, I didn't remember, I don't remember anything from before I was like four years old, probably. So it's kind of like, it's like, oh, well, like this child is so well-traveled, but like they don't remember anything, you know? So I, the cost-wise, totally get it. Like you're not going to leave your kid home for like several weeks while you travel. But like, is it really a cultural experience? Like, are they internalizing any of that? Maybe, I don't know. I'm not a child psychologist. I think it's more of a cultural experience for the kids when when the child is an infant and yeah they're not participating in anything actively yeah it's more of a uh, excuse me a, a, a cultural experience for the parents than it is for the kids at this age once they get a little older and they can interact with their environment around them that changes but also one of the best things about this whole trip planning process is getting her passport photo taken and I now have this passport of my daughter with this hilarious little photo where she's making like the most awkward face ever 
and I'm going to keep that for the rest of my life. Okay. All right. Well, I guess for, for no other reason, it's worth it for that, for the embarrassing baby pictures that you can then hold over her head when she brings guys home for a senior prom. Yeah. As soon as she has a boyfriend or a girlfriend in the future, that photo is coming out immediately. All right. Next question. Total 180. What exactly makes brunch different from lunch? Is it the food? Is it the having drinks? Is it the time of day? What exactly is it? I think it's the fact that it's generally later than breakfast, but you're still eating breakfast food. So it's the food. And it's more of like a thing. It's not like when you eat breakfast. Experience. You're like, what? You're, yeah, you're just like eating breakfast before you start your day. But when you're having brunch, it's like an experience. Like you're going to a restaurant or you're having people over to your house and cooking for them. And it's like an event. It's not just something that you're doing because you have to to get through the day. Yeah, having breakfast is like a necessity that you have to do. Having brunch is like a thing you you it's intentional it's like a let's make this an activity because i was having i had i don't do brunch often but i had brunch on sunday and we go to this place and they get the menu and they give us the lunch menu it's like it's like 12 it's noon so it's, i guess it's lunchtime but i know this place does brunch and i'm looking at the menu and i'm like oh wait this isn't right this is like all lunch stuff so i said oh can i can we have the brunch menu please and the guy's like oh yeah, yeah sure he gives us the brunch menu and it's basically like similar food but with like some egg mixed in normal lunch food but oh here's an egg while we're on that topic i want to add a thought that i've long held and i don't think i've ever actually said this out loud but i've always thought it like you could pretty much make anything a breakfast dish just by putting an egg on it right like what is a breakfast burrito it's a burrito that also has eggs in it right right like, like anything can be called breakfast by putting an egg on it is a burger with a fried egg on top brunch food all of a sudden is that what that that's means? that's probably the one exception that's probably the one exception to that rule is if you put an egg on a burger people don't call that a breakfast yeah. burger but everything else with the egg on it is called breakfast yeah right they do a pizza it's like a white pizza with like some herbs tomato and egg and there's like boop breakfast pizza it's like okay okay but i remember thinking like okay so now you know all these other people around me might be here for lunch but by virtue of me having a mimosa and something with egg at noon, I am now here for brunch. And what's that line? Like, where's that line? And I don't know. I think you're probably right. It's about the food. It's about the kind of experience you're trying to have. But it, I, it, I was always interested by that. Like, when did brunch become? What is the history of brunch? Like, when did brunch become so popular? Like, was it like I feel like like seven to eight years ago, brunch became a thing that people did. When you're growing, when you were growing up, did people go to brunch? I th I think I think it was a little bit farther back. No, as than a that. concept, but like bottomless mimosa, bottomless mimosa brunch. That wasn't a thing when you were in college, was it? I I don't know. I don't Probably. Think it was. I can I remember drinking bottomless mimosas as far back as I've been old enough to go out and drink. Uh, I'm gonna take a hard stance here based on absolutely zero historical information and say that brunch was invented in 2000. 13 <laughs> okay Saturn wants to fact All check right. us well, on that I, please feel free maybe we'll link to an article about brunch history in the show notes brunch invented 2013 avocados invented in 2014 yeah which really stepped brunch up a notch uh okay evan my first one for you today as somebody that doesn't have kids is traveling with parents appealing to you at your age like would you want to go abroad with your parents uh yeah yeah i think so i mean it, it depends on who your parents are and what your interests are and uh if you get along with them but 
I think I would. My parents don't travel a ton. They're not into like going out and they're not big drinkers. So I think that part of it wouldn't be, would, would not exist for me, which is fine. It's funny because I think this isn't true for everyone, but your travel habits when you grow up are shaped by your upbringing. And you're just based on your interest. Everyone's interests are shaped by their upbringing. So I think naturally people might be inclined to share a lot of similar interests with their parents when they travel. Like the way my parents travel, I think is similar to how I travel. And that's probably not a coincidence. The things I like to do, like museums, like cultural stuff, history. My dad's really into history. So I think we'd actually agree on a lot of the, the stuff we'd be doing. I don't know. What about you? Do you think, are you similar in your travel habits and goals to your parents or totally different? I enjoy traveling with them. I would do a big trip with them. I We are very different as far as probably what we like to do. Like my parents are, you know, they're not super outdoorsy people. They like to go on a basic hike or whatever. But I mean, I had a great time with my dad when we went to Boston and, and New York last fall. Um, you know, we both appreciate, you know, walking through a city center and learning about the city and, you know, visiting historic pubs and and go into a brewery and baseball games and that kind of stuff. So we have some things in common, uh, enough that it makes a trip enjoyable and it's good to spend time together. Um, I think if anything, they would probably get annoyed with me, uh, because, you know, I like to do things and I like to be proactive and make things happen when I'm traveling. I'm not really a resort sit by the pool kind of a person. Uh, whereas, you know, when I was a kid, when we did go on vacation, it was usually either into the mountains or, you know, we would go to like the beach somewhere, uh, in South Carolina or something, um, and just kind of lounge for a week. So, and my dad likes to play a lot of golf. And so they're like resort people. They, yeah, I mean, they're resort people. They want to like more low key, more low key, definitely low key. They're not like all inclusive type people, but they're more like, you know, let's get a nice, room with a couple with a bedroom and a balcony and relax my mom's a big reader so she likes to like sit by the pool and read her book you know i like that i like reading i like relaxing i like golf i maybe i should go on vacation with your parents and you can go on vacation maybe with you my should parents. Yeah. really do a super bizarre crossover uh episode of the podcast and then we can share our experience <laughs> yeah that would be an experience okay yeah uh, my second question for you today how many travel partners is too many? Because I've always found that like, you know, the idea of getting all your friends together and going on a trip somewhere sounds awesome, but the actual practice and logistics of doing so is a nightmare. I, I would much rather travel in a group of like two to four people max than go like, let's get everybody together in a house of 15 people. Because then, you know, you argue about what we're going to eat. Like, you argue about the house that you're going to book. Like, no one can agree on everything. Yeah, I think four is ideal. Four is perfect. Yeah. I don't like three because I think three, like two people, there's inevitably two are going to kind of get along better with each other. And then one person's kind of left out. And that's kind of obvious. So I think four is ideal. Because if you, you have two people, if you disagree on what to do, you can kind of split off evenly, like two and two. Just more people to, to to relate to, but not so many. That's too many cooks in the kitchen. When I'm like planning stuff, like we do Killington every year for New Year's Eve, I always try to get as many people as possible. And the most fun years are when not as many people come, because the years we've had like twelve people, it's just impossible to do anything. It's like to get everyone to get ready in time to leave the Airbnb to go to dinner or to agree on dinner or to go to the bar. It's just like. 
you spend so much time waiting and just arguing about what to do and it's not you can split up of course but when you've done like five or six people that's so much better and i think in general four is like the ideal number for a trip i agree i think that's spot on okay with that we will get into it with monet and we'll see you on the other side Hey, Monet Hembrick is a world traveler and the mastermind behind The Traveling Child, a resource for traveling families looking to plan and execute trips all over the world with their families. She's traveled with her two kids pretty much everywhere and uh, has traveled on her own even further. So, Monet, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to No Blackout Dates. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, we're honored, and I think it's a perfect time of year with uh, with Mother's Day coming up. That was kind of the inspiration here to uh, get some family travel uh talk on the show it's it's normally normally more i don't know if solo travel is the focus but uh family travel is is a lesser discussed topic here so we figured this was the time to make it more well known around here um i want to start off talking about how you got into traveling with your family and why you feel it's so important to show your kids you know the world beyond the borders where they're born uh what what is the inspiration behind all that you do so for me personally i just love traveling growing up i'm a first generation american so i had a passport from the time i was born and my parents whether we were driving to destinations in the united states or we were going back to jamaica where my family is from i've always just loved to travel uh, when i was in high school i got a scholarship with this program called the Inter um, experiment in international living and i got to go to botswana um, and i stayed with the host family which was absolutely amazing and it changed the way that I like to travel because um, being able to stay with a family in a village is much different than going someplace and staying in a hotel and just how welcoming they were to me and wanting to teach me their culture. Um, of course, I got to do the things like camping in the Okavanka Delta as well. But that is really where my love for travel, I guess, came from. And from then I studied abroad when I was in college. My husband and I actually studied abroad together um, in Beijing. And once we found out that we were having our first child, we just knew that we were gonna travel with them. And so many people were like, oh, you're about to have a kid, so you know you guys aren't gonna be able to travel anymore. And we were like, why? Like, why is there this myth that just because you have children, you can no longer travel or do the other things that you love to do because you have a child. And um, we continued to travel. Once we had our first daughter, Jordan, you know, by her second birthday, she had already been to Italy, to Greece, to Jamaica, Chicago, you know, Florida, different places in the United States. And when I had my second daughter, it was the same thing. I used my maternity leave because I didn't have to ask anybody for vacation days. And we went to Colombia, to Medellin and Cartagena. And then my friend Paula um, came over like right before that trip and she's like, oh, you should really start an Instagram, you know, and share your travels. And honestly, I thought it was the dumbest thing in the entire world. I was like, why would anybody want to follow that? They would just think, you know, that we're trying to show off. And she's like, no, like think about all the parents or people that want to have kids in the future that think that once they have kids, this will not be possible. You're showing them that it is. Um, so I just really wanted it to be a space to show parents you can travel with your kids, provide tips to make it easier, to make it affordable, and to also show that like family travel doesn't mean 
only Disney or beach or all-inclusive vacations. You can go anywhere. As you mentioned, you know, I've been quite a few places with my kids. We just came back from Jordan for spring break. They've been to Brazil. They've been to Kenya. They've been to Australia. So truly, I believe there's no limits to where you can take kids. And I just want to share that with other people. I think that's beautiful because you noted, you know, the Disney vacation, uh, you know, or going to the all-inclusive on the Riviera Maya or something like that. The standard things that, you know, American families in particular do with their kids. Uh, I think part of the stigma, if it's stigma or if it's maybe just a lack of information behind why that is, is because it's presented in a way that it seems very unapproachable. For instance, I'm, I have a seventh-month-old daughter, so I have a lot to, lot to learn from you. We're taking her to Mexico uh, in a few weeks for her first big trip. I spent an hour and a half today on the phone trying to book our flights because due to the fact that she's an infant, I wasn't able to book through the online portal. Uh, and it was a bit of a mess. And I think that stuff like that and the lack of information around it deters people from trying harder. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious what you found to be some of the hacks that have helped you make this, I don't know, an enjoyable process and a sustainable process for your family. Yeah, I would say even for like what you mentioned with, you know, your child is seven months old and you're going on an international trip. So I've taken my kids, you know, international for when they were infants as well. And one of my biggest hacks is when you're flying international, you can get a bassinet on your flight. So when you do call the airline really? and, you, and you're adding them to your ticket, let them know, you know, I'm traveling with the infant. I want to sit in the bulkhead seat. That way I can get a bassinet so you can get a rest from holding your child in your arms the entire Wow, that is genius. Yes, it's especially helpful, you know, if you're traveling, you know, intercontinental to like Europe and you have a red eye flight, who wants to sleep on a plane and be responsible for holding an infant? Like that's not fun. But with a bassinet, you can put them in there. You can be hands-free while they're sleeping and it just changes the game for you. So, you know, things like that are stuff that I share because not everybody knows about that. And yes, it's intimidating, especially your first time. And of course there are times where it is hard. I mean, being a parent in general is hard. So it's just like parenting and, you know, parenting, you know, in Mexico, it's just like parenting at home. So there are moments that are hard, but there are so many ways to make it easier um, on parents. Awesome. That is an incredible hack. I did not know that. And of course, the person on the phone today said nothing about that. What <laughs> What are the other... Let's talk layovers with kids, actually. Uh, we're nervous to do that. In fact, we booked direct flights specifically uh, so that we could avoid a layover. But what if a layover is unavoidable with young kids, how do you keep them occupied in the airport? So you can always look at, you know, on the, the airport's website ahead of time to see if they do have a kid's play area. With COVID, of course, there are a lot of those areas that were closed, you know, temporarily. I've noticed a lot more places are opening up. Um, I will say that international airports are much better at this than American airports because just in my opinion, America doesn't value children as much as other countries do. And like, children are embraced and not seen as a burden. So like, I remember when we were, we had a layover in Zurich one time for like eight hours and it was inconvenient time for us to actually leave the airport and explore. And they had the best kids club area that had 
TVs, books, games, like it even had like a miniature like merry-go-round type thing in there. So looking at that stuff, honestly, I would say investing in lounges, like we have priority pass personally, and then you're able to go into a lounge that has free food, free drinks, you know, it's a much more comfortable space for you guaranteed like outlets for them to, you know, if they have screen time using tablets. That has been key on layovers or just flights that have been delayed where we've been stuck at the airport because of a delayed flight. That helps so much. And if it is an, you know, a very long layover, leave the airport, you know, take, take a, we, I had a 12 hour layover in Madrid one time on the way to Morocco and me and my daughter left the airport. We went and toured a palace. We found a playground that she played at for like an hour. We went to a dinner flamenco show and then we went back to the airport. So it kind of killed that time. She was able to burn off energy. And when we got on the next flight, she was knocked out. Right, right. And that's the that's the goal for a kids on a flight, right? Is to yes. sleep, is time it so that you can sleep on the plane. Uh, how about, I've heard this from multiple parents that are travelers, that if you're traveling with a family, uh, one of the best ways to make sure everybody enjoys it is to do the divide and conquer strategy where say you take a day out while your husband is with the kids in the hotel or the Airbnb or whatever, you're out touring a site that maybe you wanted to see that nobody else was real excited to do. And then the following day or later in the week, he can do the same thing. Have you done that? Is this true? Uh, and what are the tips for making that work? Yes, that's definitely something we've done. Like me personally, I scuba dive. So I love diving. My kids are not old enough to dive anyway. So that's something and my husband's not interested in diving at all. So that's something that I personally love to do on trips. Like I'll just go out and do a dive if we're someplace that we can, you know, he'll he'll watch the kids. Um, and then when it's like the two of us trying to get alone time, sometimes if we're at a resort that does have a kids club, you know, we can drop them off and have dinner on our own and get a little bit of alone time or you know booking a vacation rental that has an extra bedroom so we can put them to sleep and we can relax you know in the living room or on a patio you know if you're just in a hotel room if you book something with a balcony the kids can be in the hotel room sleeping and you can at least go on the balcony and you know have some time alone so there's definitely ways um and you know if if you are if you also can travel with other people you can do the same thing if you're traveling with another family like one night you watch their kids they get to go out and swap you know and then, you know you watch their kids and and they get to go out so those are ways to to, to do that too we're going to take a short break from the interview for a word from our partners at matador network are you a travel writer filmmaker or an influencer who loves to travel the world for free Check out creators.matadornetwork.com and explore one of our many press trips. Sign up for free. That's creators.matadornetwork.com. Happy travels. And now back to the interview. So let's talk. Your, you, have a, you have a book, uh, a pretty cool looking book, in fact, that I cannot wait to read my daughter. Uh, the Traveling Child Goes to Rio de Janeiro. Talk about writing this book, putting it out there. What inspired it? Yeah, so my friend, one of my friends actually inspired it, Andre Jones, and he was like, you have all these amazing travels with your kids and I think you should share it. Like, yes, you have your Instagram, you have your blog, but like to put that in kids' hands would be even, you know, he thought it would have an even greater impact and I completely agreed. And it's just an opportunity to introduce new countries to kids, but from the perspective of a child. So the books are written like from my daughter's perspective 
and it's about introducing kids to travel so at the beginning of the book it's kind of them talking about like their airport experience and you know how it's like to be on a plane and what they're seeing out the window because you know kids young kids they if they never traveled before it, it gives them you know and some sort of expectation but then talking about the destination and things that they could see if they visit there and honestly especially just for me as a black woman with black children and unfortunately in the media sometimes when you see family travel portrayed you don't see black families as often and i also wanted for other black and brown families to be able to see children their age that look like them with curly hair and see oh they're going to these places like i can go there too and obviously for other families too just for that diversification right. of the bookshelves for themselves so all of that was my inspiration for for writing the book and hopefully my second one will be coming out soon cool well we can't wait to hear it and i think it is super important to see you know a wide swath of people traveling and kids traveling uh and and people being engaged with different cultures uh, no matter what they look like. And I'm curious, have have you run into any obstacles uh, due to race or due to traveling with a family that you think your kids have had to learn from and will be able to grow from the experience? Uh, e even if it was a negative one, they can take it and, and be like, okay, I know what to do if this comes up again. Yeah, so, well, I'll start with a positive. Just them, like, I love the fact that, like, my girls are six and seven. Okay. They love eating other types of food you know there's always this stigma with kids being picky eaters and i just love that our travels have introduced them to so many things and they don't look at something that they're not used to eating and say oh that's like nasty like i don't want to eat it even without trying especially my 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 seven-year-old every time we go someplace she is like oh well i'm not sure what it is but she's like well i'll try it like and see if i like it you know she's like i'll try it once and then she's fallen in love with so many foods and oh like, that's amazing see her, yeah like see her go places and she'll be like what do you want for dinner she's like oh i want sushi tonight or we'll go to a thai restaurant and she'll literally walk in and be like sodika which means hello in thai and like her picking up those things you know on our travels and bringing it into like her everyday experiences and it like we went to a thai restaurant when she said sodika like just to see their faces light up like oh my gosh like she knows like so like you know like hola in america is like more common but like they're like sodika like how does she know that and we're like oh we've been to thailand and they're like oh my god and then you know she's telling them about their experiences and just seeing her interact with people that look different that speak differently and her not thinking anything of that you know and i i love that um we have had some experiences in certain cultures where they're not used to seeing people that look like us and like they've been overwhelmed with them wanting to take photos of them, you know? So that's something like, and then that's just a learning opportunity for them to like speak up and say, hey, like, thank you, but you know, please don't take a picture of me or, or something like that. And I also think it builds their communication skills too on like how to speak up for themselves. Yeah, and confidence too. These are gonna be some confident kids as they enter yes. the world and continue to enter the world. I suppose they're already in the world. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's incredible. Let's let's switch over to Mother's Day a little bit. So one thing that I'm fascinated by and that my wife is about to experience for the first time this year and myself too on Father's Day is the transition from celebrating Mother's Day for somebody else to celebrating it for yourself and and feeling that sense of appreciation from the people that love you. How did that resonate with you uh, and how does it continue to with your family? So my first daughter was almost born on Mother's Day. So Okay. <laughs> 
So That's a some, blessing there. Yeah, so like some years her birthday is like the day before Mother's Day or like the day after Mother's Day. So it's, I mean, I, you see the other side, right? Like you were always like, you know, to my mom, like being appreciative or doing these things. And then to see someone else like care about you so much and like, love you for being the one that's, you know, raising them. It is a beautiful thing. Um, so I, I love like the little cute notes that they write me or like, you know, the things that they draw. And to me, it's not about like, they know I'm a minimalist. So like gifts are not my thing. Um, but it's just really just spending that time and just like, oh my God, I created this human. And like, here they are in the flesh and they're not, I haven't killed them yet, you know? <laughs> like. Yeah. Mary Dodd is a scary thing, and I'm like, they're still alive. I'm doing something right. So what are your Mother's Day plans this year? So I actually come back from Saudi Arabia that morning, and they're not coming with me. So we'll see when they pick me up from the airport what happens. Ah, well, I'm sure they'll have a nice surprise planned for you, hopefully straight from the airport. And uh, speaking of which, one of the things I'm most nervous about for our upcoming trip is going through customs with my daughter. There potentially being a long line her having a tantrum in the line or something else going wrong. Do you have any customs horror stories or any tips for parents to make the process better? Invest in global entry. You will not have to wait online. <laughs> Honestly, the best money I've ever spent in my life. And I will say for like other countries, while they don't have global entry, most times there are some countries like Aruba, Bahamas, like you can clear customs there and use global entry. But, um, a lot of other countries have lines specifically for families. So when we've gone to other countries, someone always like pops out of nowhere and is like, oh, come, you have children, come this direction. And I'm like, oh, if only the United States is like that. But especially coming back to the US, global entry for sure. And if you don't travel that often and you don't find maybe it will be, you know, worth the investment, check if your airport has a mobile passport. Um, because it's free or way cheaper. They have like a paid part now, but it's still cheaper than global entry and you can use that to skip the line as well if you don't travel internationally as often. Uh, yeah, I noticed the uh, last time I was coming back into the States that the mobile passport app now prompts you to pay, which is something it didn't do before. It was always cool because it was the free hack to get in, but now they want you to pay. Yeah, I don't use it anymore since we have global entry, but I heard that I think they started charging. All right, Monet. So as we start to wind down here, what is your biggest piece of advice you'd give to parents traveling abroad with their kids for the first time that they probably mm. haven't already heard about or read about on travel blogs? Ooh, this is a this is a tough one. Yeah. Um I would say especially like for your first trip, just as adults we're used to traveling one way, but when you're introducing kids to that, like just being conscious of like how they're going to adjust to that schedule. So always like take it easy the first day, especially like with jet lag and like all those things. Um, and then I would say just making sure you're prepared for the worst. Hopefully the worst never happens, but like just always bring um, over counter meds with you just in case, because if you're traveling to a country that English is not the first language, imagine going to the pharmacy, the pharmacist or pharmacist tech doesn't speak English. None of the medications are in English. They don't sell Tylenol, like that's not what they have in other places. So just keeping that in mind and having those things, I would say it's not like, hopefully it doesn't happen to other people, but one thing that happened to me, we were leaving from Rome and I had my daughter's uh, diapers like 
in a bag, like a little diaper bag, left it at the gate, got on the plane for a 10 hour flight, diapers. And um, yeah, I was scrolling through the aisles on the flight searching for people with kids around my daughter's age. Like, does anybody have a spare diaper? Because um, I have none. So you know, no matter how experienced you are, there's always something that can happen. But honestly, it's just like, go with the flow. Your kids read your energy. So like, if you panic, they'll sense that. And if you don't, you know, it will be much smoother. But things happen no matter who you are. Yeah. So the takeaway for me here is to make sure that we have double diapers packed in our bag so that we can give some away <laughs> if necessary and hope that the karma we get from being prepared to do so prevents this from happening to us. Yes. <laughs> okay, Monet, thank you so much for joining us today on No Blackout Dates. Be sure to check out her incredible blog, thetravelingchild.com. Her children's book, The Traveling Child, goes to Rio de Janeiro. Monet, where else can people find you? On Instagram and TikTok, it's The Traveling Child, and my website is thetravelingchild.com. Okay, we're here in news of the day after a great chat about traveling with kids. Uh, the first one we've got for us today, Evan, is a story from Matador's Olivia Harden about what you should do if your flight is delayed or canceled. And it turns out, because I don't think this is the first thing most people would think of, but it turns out the first thing you should do is whip out your phone, open up your browser, and search Bill of Rights followed by the airline name because... This will immediately break down what your rights are based on your situation and what you may be entitled to from the airline. This is super useful, and I've never had a flight. I don't want to jinx it, but I've never had a flight ever canceled or delayed by more than you know an hour and a half. Have you? I have. Yeah, I've had both of those situations happen to me before, but I've never once thought to like pursue significant compensation from the airline beyond just a rebooking of the flight you know and so maybe i'm maybe i was owed money in in these situations i don't i'll probably never know now but next time i know what to do i mean i get so pissed when i see a notification that my flight is delayed by 20 minutes i can't even imagine how i'm going to react if i ever got a notification that the flight's canceled like what and like that's right. that's so hectic they have to rebook everybody what if there is no what if there isn't a flight you know, for until uh, you know the next day or two days later. I mean, what do they do? It's what are some of these uh, things that in in the Bill of Rights that you'll find? Like, what are passenger rights? It's financial compensation. It could be room and board for a night until your next flight, which I should have used uh, when I was coming to the Matador retreat a few years ago, and my flight uh, into Mexico City was so late that I missed my connecting flight to LA and had to stay overnight in Mexico City. I ended up buying a hotel room that I believe I invoiced to Matador, but I'm sure that the airline should and would have paid for that. Yeah, that's another thing I'm shocked hasn't happened to me, is a connection just being delayed just long enough that I miss my my second connecting flight. It's it's wild that it hasn't happened, and I'm jinxing the fuck out of myself right now. But yeah, Bill of Rice. Yeah, you are. It's happened to me multiple times, especially with international flights. It seems to happen a lot. Maybe I kind of want it to happen, so I'll actually have something to talk about on the podcast when this comes up for once, because I feel like I never have a story. But yeah, Bill of Rights, Google it. Make sure it's the airline plus Bill of Rights, not just the U.S. Bill of Rights, because then you're going to get all kinds of information about your right of trial by jury and freedom from excessive bail and freedom of religion and speech. 
So airline, bill of rights, they'll sort you out. All right. Next article we got here is JetBlue offered passengers $10,000 to bump their flight to Cancun, and nobody took it. So JetBlue needed to make room on a flight to Cancun for flight attendants. They needed uh, crew members in Cancun. They offered passengers $10,000 incentive to bump their flight, get flight credits. JetBlue flies pretty much everywhere in the U.S., so you know I'm sure the They'd be able to find some place to use that, and no one took it. Can you imagine that? In my mind, I feel like it's a no-brainer. But who knows? Maybe when you're you're on the flight, you're in the airport, you're ready to go, and then it's like, no, you got to go home now, and you know, change your travel plans impromptu. Maybe you're not in the right headspace to do that. It's it's tough to kind of armchair quarterback at the next day. Well, it's interesting to to note that this happened on a flight to Cancun because that leads me to believe, you know, so that most of the people on the flight are probably going on vacation. They have a set timeline. They've already paid for their resort. They have to be back at work in seven days. So they don't have a lot of flexibility. If this was a flight that is somewhere uh, where people maybe have more flexibility, if it's somewhere that's I, I don't, maybe not somewhere where it's a bunch of families going on vacation, where it more if it's business travelers or if it's uh remote workers, or if it's anywhere where it's people traveling more individually instead of on an itinerary to a vacation, they would probably be more willing to take that money. Like if it happened to me, you know, as you know, I'm fortunate to have a pretty flexible schedule most of the time, I would take that money in a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, how many flights is that? $10,000. I mean, that's flights for years and years. That's that's crazy. It speaks, it could speak to people's lack of spontaneity uh, or all just, or just their lack of ability to be flexible with their PTO but it's uh it's it reminds me of when they always call out for in the airport not ten thousand dollars but they'll say like oh like we'll offer flight credits for anyone who wants to reschedule their flight or take the next flight and that might just mean a flight a couple hours later and i always wonder how many people actually take advantage of that because you hear that announcement in the airport a lot and i I've, i've never considered doing that but i always wonder who's doing that who's so whose schedule is so flexible they can just be like yeah i'll take the flight tomorrow i think there's a lot of people that would do that honestly like i think it's pretty it's probably more common than we realize because a lot of people i think you know especially if they're not the ones paying for their flight but they're going to be the ones that get the perks you know like kind of how now when we're traveling for work we're not paying for the flight but we get the miles you know like if, if you're getting the perk and it's not really messing your wallet up and it doesn't, you know, if you can call your boss and be like, hey, I got bumped, there's nothing I can do. I don't know why you wouldn't do that. But then we can't do that. Like, I can't, I can't say, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna like, hey, hey, press trip people in Cancun. I'm not gonna be on time for this press trip because I wanted to take personal free flight credits. Because the airline offered me $10,000. Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to No Blackout Dates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us, of course, a five-star review. And if for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Flow underscore on Instagram, and he's TimWinger1. Also, a big shout-out and thanks to our producer, Alex Halke, executive producer, Katie Hetrick, our email marketing guru, Kelsey Wilking, the Matador social crew, and everyone else on the team who puts up with us on a daily basis. We'll see you guys next week.